I mean, I don't even know what to say about this one. It's the epitome of the genre. It's freaking when Harry met Sally. Boy meets girl. Boy and girl fight. Boy and girl become friends. Boy and girl fight. Again. Boy and girl fall in love. Bingo bango bongo. It's 1989. You got Rob Reiner at his finest. Nora Ephron writing truth bombs. It's Billy Crystal doing his best work other than hosting the Oscars. It's Meg Ryan stepping into the spotlight. It's when Harry met Sally. It's great. If you just watched it, go watch it again. Go ahead. We'll wait. Well, you'll have to pause it, but but think of us. We'll be we'll be in your phone. Ah, there is too much intro in this paprikash. On with the show. Sorry, Harry. I know it's New Year's Eve. I know you're feeling lonely, but you just can't show up here. Tell me you love me and expect that to make everything all right. It doesn't work this way. Well, how does it work? I don't know, but not this way. How about this way? I love that you get cold when it's 71 degrees out. I love that it takes you an hour and a half to order a sandwich. I love that you get a little crinkle above your nose when you're looking at me like I'm nuts. I love that after I spend a day with you, I can still smell your perfume on my clothes. And I love that you are the last person I want to talk to before I go to sleep at night. And it's not because I'm lonely, and it's not because it's New Year's Eve. I came here tonight because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. You see? That is just like you, Harry. You say things like that and you make it impossible for me to hate you. And I hate you, Harry. I really hate you. Okay, uh, big, uh, big special episode today, Kelly. I am probably the most excited I've ever been, ever, for anything, ever. <laughs> we have uh, a super, super special guest. It's our first, like, I, I know, expert guest uh, today. It's uh, our first guest that is not our wife. Yeah. <laughs> Either of our wives. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have today uh, Aaron Carlson. Um author, journalist. Yeah. Cue the applause. Um, and, uh, I would say Nora Ephron, uh, I don't know the key, the star witness to Nora Ephron's career and, um, expert sounds like a good word to me. Yeah. And, uh, her book, uh, I'll have what she's having, how Nora Ephron's three iconic films saved the romantic comedy, uh, is about when Harry met Sally sleepless in Seattle and you've got mail, all classics in the genre and are kind of the new classics of what we talk about when we talk about the ideal. We're kind of talking about Nora Ephron's movies and Aaron's put a lot of work into that. She also has a book on Meryl Streep, um, Queen Meryl. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. Correct. Yes. Yes. Um, hey, well, welcome. Hey, and, anyways, <laughs> why don't you say hello? Uh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm doing great. Um, thanks for having me and thanks for the nice intro and, um, I'm glad to be the first guest who is not your wife, not one of your wives, <laughs> but I'm guessing they are also experts too mm -hmm. in the genre. If you're a fan of the genre, I think that you are an expert. Yeah. Yeah. They just haven't been, you know, uh, the tropes. yeah, they just don't, uh, they don't, they're not yet published. Maybe they will be soon, but they'll, they're yeah. on their way. Um, so why don't you, um, <laughs> Why don't you tell us a little bit more about um, your project on Nora Ephron and just kind of a little bit 
tell tell our listeners a little bit about you and what kind of led you to that project and you know what your where your interests are Sure. Well, uh, I started out as an entertainment journalist at the Associated Press. So I was covering film, TV, uh, music, but film was always kind of my main focus and my passion. I loved interviewing, you know, filmmakers and actors and just really got into it. Uh, After many, many years of doing that, I feel like press junkets and red carpets and, you know, even those high profile interviews get a little bit old after a while. (laughs) A little bit samey. A little bit samey, samey. And I felt like uh, I wanted to do something different. And uh, some of my friends were writing books as one does. And uh, I was like, if I wrote a book about one thing, what would it be? And um, my first thought was, you know, Nora Ephron and her romantic comedies. I led a romantic comedy location tour in the Upper West Side. <laughs> um, it was even featured in the Wall Street Journal, hilariously. Um, you know, our, you know, my friend Jennifer and I um, both ran it and um, we you know, walked past all of the locations and you've got mail, uh, Joe Fox's house, uh, That's Kathleen cool. Kelly's brownstone, Cafe Lala, where they had their big. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. You are, you know. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had their big tete-a-tete. The flower so, shop. Uh, did you get to the flowers? We did the flower shop. Yes. We did the flower shop. And um, the shop around the corner actually is now a uh, laundromat. <laughs> oh, oh, how romantic. No, I would totally no, I do mean, my laundry there. I would totally do it. Right? Right? I mean, there's so much history there just in the Upper West Side, which um, was also where Nora Ephron lived in the Apthorpe for many years. Right. She turned her neighborhood into a religion. Um, you know, um, where is that cafe that they go to when you've got mail? Um, the scene of the double date. Uh, I'm forgetting the name of this. Uh, I have pandemic brain. Oh, Sorry, no worries. Guys. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> but it was, it's uh, Central Park uh, is just outside, you know, to the east of the neighborhood. And it's one of the most cinematic uh, backdrops in all of Manhattan and also happens to be the location for uh, Nora Ephron's classic romantic comedies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I digress. I digress, you guys. Well, tell us a little bit about, like, what your research entailed. Like, who did you talk to? Like, um, did you talk to Delia Efron? Did you talk to other family members? Were you able to interview many people like that? Well, it's really funny because this whole um, book also started with an oral history of You've Got Mail in Vanity Fair that I wrote for Vanity Fair. Mm. And um, that also helped me get the book deal, too. Is I had talked to Meg Ryan and Delia for it and, um, you know, uh, some of the crew. And I did not talk to Tom Hanks. He was unavailable for that. So uh, based also on my rom-com location tour and the oral history, I was able to get that book deal as well for I'll Have What She's Having. So I get the book deal and I reach out to those same people. It's crickets absolute crickets and my agent is like oh god we're gonna have to triangulate (laughs) which um in in journalism means you start from the very bottom and get enough details 
I don't want to say dirt, but get enough <laughs> information so that Rob Reiner cannot turn you down for the fifth time. Uh-huh. So, so I was getting crickets from everyone and kind of panicking. I, I'm just not going to lie. I was like, what did I get myself into? With the, now I have a book and there's nothing, uh, I'm, I'm not going to have anything to put in it if I don't get any original interviews. So I started at the very bottom with um, Rob Reiner's assistant, uh, one of his first assistants at Castle Rock. And uh, she left the film industry in 1988 <sighs> to become a real estate agent. And she hadn't worked in Hollywood for decades. And um, she was like, uh, she was a gem. We talked for four hours because <laughs> a lot of these people left the film industry and um, no one had ever asked them about these experiences. So I worked from the very bottom. This woman who worked at Castle Rock told me that um, she had insulted Nora by confusing Nora with Rob Reiner's secretary. Oh, oh yeah. right. Yeah. That's in the book. Yeah, right. Right. While Nora was writing, uh, when Harry met Sally and all of this stuff. So I started from her and I worked my way up and, um, you know, focusing on those three films, when Harry met Sally, Sleepless in Seattle. And, uh, and, uh, then you've got mail. Uh, it was harder to get access to Billy Crystal because he is, you know, he and, um, Meg had a little bit of friction at first mm-hmm. on that film. Um, she felt uh, kind of left out sure. of this boys club that naturally developed between Rob and Billy because they were best friends. Uh, yeah, what was know, that they... quote where they're like, what, we invited them to the basketball game? Or like, they didn't want to go. <laughs> Just like They didn't want to go, you know, and Meg is at that point was 26 years old and um, Billy was 40. That's a quite a big age difference. And he and Rob had known each other for years. Um, They were like, as Rob's daughter says, you know, the sweater guys, you know, these funny Jewish guys, Mm -hmm. (laughs) these comedians in Hollywood. And they would, you know, all smoke weed together and crack each other up. And then, then they got married and they would still talk to each other on the phone and, you know, complain about their lives and make each other laugh. And Meg wasn't really that. Mm-hmm. Um, Meg um, had had a mini breakout in Top Gun and she had tried out for The Princess Bride, which was um, directed by Rob Reiner. Yep. But she was, um, you know, according to the casting directors, according to Rob, she wasn't beautiful enough because uh, Princess Buttercup, right? Uh, she had to be the most the beautiful, yeah. most beautiful girl in the world, and that was Robin Wright. Meg Ryan is the most adorable girl in the world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, when they were casting for um, for when Harry met Sally, um, Rob was considering at one point uh, Susan Day, who was you know sure. a hit on L.A. Law. Uh, Molly Ringwald, who was a teenager at the time. Yeah, that's uh, really young. It was a different time. Yeah. But she turned it down, I mean, too young. Elizabeth McGovern, you know, the the mom from Downton Abbey. So Rob was dating her uh, after his divorce from Penny Marshall. And 
you know, wanted her to play Sally, which would not be very funny, would it? No. <laughs> that yeah. wouldn't be a very funny character. No, and no. Nora wouldn't really have a good time writing for that particular actress. So um, he broke up with Elizabeth McGovern. Um, he made uh, Stand By Me. He made some movies in between, um, you know, in the 80s. So the script went through multiple iterations uh, through a span of like five years they were working on it. So when he was ready to make, he wanted to make a really commercial romantic comedy, uh, something that would be a major hit for Castle Rock, which was his new studio. He wanted to make a like a, a hit romantic comedy and something inspired by Woody Allen. He revered Woody Allen. And he wanted um, something that uh, he wanted to write and direct a romantic comedy that was realistic about relationships. Mm -hmm. So it was about two people who had broken up with significant relationships. They were kind of lost and um, looking for love and finding comfort in um, a platonic relationship with um, the opposite, a friend of the opposite sex. And then, of course, sex always creeps into the dynamic, according to Rob Reiner, and ruins everything. So um, this romantic comedy was about a man and a woman who break up with, you know, who go through traumatic breakups, um, become close friends, have sex, the sex ruins the relationship, and then they move on with, into new relationships. So something, um, so the narrative would reflect um, something that happens in real life all the time, mm -hmm. and something that Rob was going through after his traumatic uh, divorce from Penny Marshall, and he was really messed up after that. He would call Billy all the time and say, "I'm totally messed up. I don't know how do you even meet a woman." Uh, and he was just kind of flailing. So kind of like the sleepless in Seattle discussions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little bit, a little like that. A little like, like, uh, Billy was his Marsha Fieldstone. Right. And of course, Billy, <laughs> Billy was very happily married, but Billy was extremely frustrated. Um, he wanted to be taken seriously as an actor. And he wanted those opportunities that he saw his friends like Albert Brooks getting. Mm -hmm. And he just wasn't breaking out in that way, despite being charming and having this great unexpected leading man sensibility. He was just not the guy that Rob was looking to cast. So Rob um, was turned down by Albert Brooks, who was like, I don't want to, make another Woody Allen movie. Right. He was turned down by Richard Dreyfus, who um, hated the script and insulted Rob and Nora by saying, this script sucks. They don't even talk about their careers. To her face, right? He said that? He said that to her face. He's like, all they talk about is love and <sighs> relationships. And uh, Nora was stunned, but Rob's uh, stuck up for her. He's like, that's what it is. It's a romantic comedy. Yeah. And I like the script. Yeah. And, and Richard Dreyfus went off and did something like did a movie that flopped. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
And then um, who else turned it, turned it down? Uh, Tom Hanks turned it down. He wasn't ready. Tom Hanks wasn't ready for the, the rom-com. No, he was in a funk. Yeah. He was in a professional funk. Let's just say that. Yeah. And uh, finally, after everyone had turned it down, <laughs> um, Billy accepted very gladly, and he was just waiting in the wings, and he um, said like, yes. Put me in, coach. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, put me in. And uh, he, then um, they had to cast Sally, and they brought Meg in to read with Billy, and she totally nailed it. She um, was able to improvise with him and um, kind of lob those tennis balls back and forth. And she spoke in the rhythm that Nora wrote. Like she was able to translate Nora and Rob, who are quite um, similar, you know, in just their um, their observations and their, um, I want to say this humor. Um, that's that's one of the most relieving things as a writer to be able yeah. to get somebody who understands the cadence you're going for. And like when yeah. you hear your lines read correctly, you're just like, oh, thank God. Yeah, Meg <laughs> did that. Meg, I think, was the only actress and Parker Posey yeah. uh, who could who could speak Nora. And I think that uh, kind of bonded them together. And she was very, very... Uh, shy and timid at the beginning and you can see that uh in uh in sort of the arc of the film you can see her kind of evolve and get looser mm -hmm. her character like meg was kind of stiff in the beginning kind of sitcom-y yeah and um then i think she as she got comfortable with billy and rob and the script and the character she loosened up um quite a bit and she loosened up <laughs> so well yeah. that she was able to film that orgasm yeah. scene um, and toward the end of the shoot in New York. And that was a doozy. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this is the world's greatest introduction to the film. Um, let's let's jump into like uh, our reaction to it. Um, I think we intentionally picked. Well, I guess, Aaron, you picked it um, um, because or did you? <laughs> Ahead, yeah, Kelly. before we actually get into our reactions to it, um, I want to hear what um, Aaron's first experience with the movie was. Like, oh, okay. when did you first see this movie and what what you brought to you? Like, run us, run us through that experience. Oh, I don't remember. It's I don't remember been when with I you. first saw it. I love it. That's like me I and remember Star Wars. When, I, I, yes, yes, exactly. Um, and I don't remember when I first saw that either. I remember when I first saw Sleepless in Seattle because um, I uh, uh, saw it with my dad and this woman he was dating. My parents divorced when I was young. Mm. So he took me, um, uh, Sherry, and Sherry to go see uh, Sleepless in Seattle. And I remember liking it and sort of feeling a kinship with Jonah. Mm -hmm. Were <laughs> yeah. you like Jonah's I age? I definitely did. When you oh, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Oh, yeah. And um, then You've Got Mail I saw with my mom. And I remember thinking, eh, this is okay. <laughs> this is no sleepless in Seattle. But then the older I got, mm -hmm. I became obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that Just movie grows it. on you. Oh, yeah. It, it is now the greatest joy of my life. Mm. And I, I, I just can't. I, I, 
you know, when you're in the cult, you're in the cult. Yeah. Once you're smelling the freshly sharpened pencils. <laughs> yes. Patricia makes coffee nervous. I quote that every day because I make coffee nervous. <laughs> That's great. That's the aspiration. <laughs> Kelly, what's your, um, what's your, uh, experience with the Nora Ephron, um, Trident, the trilogy, the, Oh, mine was definitely, so sleepless in Seattle was a, um, it was a sick movie for me when I was a very little kid. I think I probably watched it when I was, I want to say eight for the first time. And it just kind of became like me and my mom's movie to watch together. And um, when Harry Met Sally came after that, and then probably, probably You've Got Mail later. And I don't know, they all, all three of them, but especially Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail just kind of stuck with me throughout my life. I, I feel like, when Harry met Sally is so much more of a film to like chew on and absorb. It's not like my go-to when I'm like sick or need a pick me up. It's something I go to when I want to watch a movie. And mm-hmm. the other two are just like, I can put them on in the background and I already have them memorized. And so like, like every single line coming up, I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, I hear you, Meg. Yeah, me too. H and G. H and G. Yeah. H and G. Hi and goodbye. Uh, so mine, mine is I watched, like I said before, when Harry Met Sally was my crossover film, where I learned to stop being a snob and start um, loving. I thought that was Sleepless in Seattle. No, no. When, when you went to the no, no, you went to the doctors. You went to the doctors, and I you're getting I picked you up. You're 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 getting ahead of me. So I'm I'm starting <laughs> with when Harry Met Sally, and then Sleepless in Seattle. You know, I'll get I'll get there. When Harry met Sally, um, I was on, it was something, something prompted it. Like I was getting into Rob Reiner or William Goldman, or like I was getting into some film thing that when Harry met Sally kind of like came into view of like, oh, you need to see when Harry met Sally. It's a film classic. I'm like, okay. Cause I was in college and I was just watching classics. I was watching oh, the most glorious time of my life. I was watching at least one movie a day and I just kind of penciled when Harry met Sally in. Um, and I was like, whoa, rom-coms are good. I had no idea. Cause uh, like when we, when Kelly and I were watching (laughs) rom-coms, it was the most unfortunate era of rom-coms. It was the Catherine Heigl era. And it's like, I understand the 27 dresses love. I understand the Catherine Heigl thing, but come on. It is not Nora Ephron's era. It is nothing anywhere close to Nora Ephron quality. Uh, so I just thought it was a bad trashy genre, but then I saw when Harry met Sally, I'm like, Oh, this is interesting. Um, and yes, sleepless in Seattle was my sick day movie that got introduced to me by Kelly because I, I was, I had a sick day and I almost passed out in class and Kelly took me to the doctor and then he took me back from the doctor <laughs> and he's like, we're going to watch a movie. And I took buddy. you home and we watched sleepless in Put Seattle a blanket together. Around me and you're like, this is so nice. He's like, this is my sick day movie. You're, you're going to like it. Um, and I did. That's the best friend ever. Yeah. Oh, he's my I best really, friend. Yeah. And then You've Got Mail <laughs> is my wife's all-time favorite movie. Um, she watched it uh, when she was um, a kid, and it was her go-to movie as a kid. And she just, that was just one of her videotapes that, like, she, she's going to watch something, she's going to watch You've Got Mail. So she's got that movie memorized. Um, and so she's always down to watch You've Got Mail, which is great um, because it's You've Got Mail. Um, but she's not down. She does not care for Sleepless in Seattle because she thinks it's, she thinks it's creepy. And she's got a point. Oh, yeah. 
Meg Ryan's I mean, kind of creepy in that movie. It is, but they do oh, hang yeah. a lampshade on it, and I think that's the only way it kind of like gets away. Oh with yeah, it. like um, my editor, uh, who edited uh, "I'll Have What She's Having," does not like <laughs> Sleepless in Seattle for that reason. He's like, "Wow, you're really stretching. You're really stretching, saying that Meg." Next, Annie Reed uh, is not a stalker. Right. And I'm like, she's going after what she wants. Right. It's I, so I, love. I think it really, like, where you land on whether you're, like, either a <laughs> pessimist or an idealist, like, kind of hinges on that. Like, what do you, what do you think of Meg Ryan's character? <laughs> if you're an optimist, she's just, like, a tr- diehard romantic yeah. who believes in love. And if you think she's a stalker, eh, maybe you're a little bit of a pessimist. Yeah. <laughs> um, here's the thing. She looks like Meg Ryan. Um, somebody made this argument to me about high fidelity. You're like, if John Cusack didn't look like John, not, not high fidelity, say anything, yeah. say anything. Yeah, yeah, if John yeah. Cusack didn't look like John Cusack and some guy was just outside the window holding a boombox yeah. with Peter Gabriel blaring, sure, 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 you'd sure. call him a stalker. Yeah. So, the, so you're saying the adorability factor it's, comes into play. That's yeah. the Dobler-Dahmer theory. Adorable. Yeah, the Dobler-Dahmer theory. That's from How I Met Your Mother. Perfect example. It's because mm-hmm. she looks oh, like Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. That was a theory on How I Met Your Mother, yeah. which is another great rom-com. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, that's what they figured out. Because if it's, if it's John Cusack, then it's nice. If it's <laughs> John Goodman, then it's not so nice. <laughs> Oh, poor John Goodman. <laughs> Sorry. Meg Ryan, nice. Kathy Bates. Oh, <laughs> yeah, a little know, misery. Misery, a little scary. That's also a Jim Gaffigan bit where he's talking <laughs> hey, about- Hey, misery loves company yeah, that's too. That's true. Okay. Uh, Jim Gaffigan makes that joke where he's on a subway and if a p- really pretty woman smiles at him, he's like, oh, that's a nice person. But if it's someone that's not so pretty, he's like, ugh, leave me alone. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's the human condition, yeah, really. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's- I want to jump more into our reactions movie, but I, I also yeah. want to hear more about, I want to talk about this idea of like, like the conversations kind of on Nora Ephron writing this movie. And when Harry met Sally is very much uh, kind of that male versus female perspective, just being kind of a tennis, it's a tennis game of just like the male and female just kind of fight, fight it out. Um, Aaron, could you enlighten us a little? Could you tell our listeners about Nora's, like, she started with a movie like Heartburn, and then she got to a movie like When Harry Met Sally and how that, like, showed her kind of a shift in her view? Yeah. Uh, If you're listening, um, Heartburn (laughs) was a deliciously um, bitchy uh, Romana Clef that Nora wrote. It was a revenge Romana Clef against... uh, her second husband, Carl Bernstein, uh, one half of the duo, iconic duo, who took down um, Richard Nixon, uh, Washington Post reporters who um, uncovered Watergate. So she was married to him um, for a few years in the late 70s. He left her for the British ambassador's wife when she was seven months pregnant with their second child. She was devastated. They were um the golden couple of Washington of journalism and everyone adored them and they looked like they had it all, but he cheated on her. She found out about it. Um, seven months pregnant. She went back to New York and wrote heartburn, uh, which was published in 1983. It became a movie in 1985 starring Meryl Streep and Jack Nicholson. 
Uh, Meryl does an amazing Nora impression down to the T, down to the nasal voice and the big Coke bottle glasses. Mm. So um, Roger Ebert hated the film. He said it was bitter. Um, this He hated uh, the Nora character. Um, I loved it because, um, you know, it was a terrible breakup, divorce from a female perspective. And the female perspective is not always likable in that situation. And Nora um, had... Uh, created this persona around being um, kind of this bold, sometimes bitchy, um, truth-telling, ball-busting, hilarious, acerbic woman. That was her brand. That was her persona. And you either loved her or you hated her, but mostly you loved her because you couldn't wait to see what she would say next or what she would do next. She was a bit of a provocateur, not a bit. Um, she was a shock jock in a way, but she was so adorable in person that you almost um, <laughs> could overlook some of her uh, uh, controversial opinions. So it's adding just like the right amount of sweet to just like let all the bitter go down kind of. Yes. And that's why her movies were so great, too, or why she was able to drop some acid on Sickles in Seattle uh, yeah. in its earliest iteration. You know, um, so. Um, so heartburn, that was a flop, and um, oh, and I sh- it's, you know, it, it should would... be mentioned that Mike Nichols directed it, like the famous Mike Nichols, and it's just kind of like uh, you had a dream team. You had Merrill, you had Jack Nicholson, you had Mike Nichols, you had Nor Ephron, and somehow the audiences didn't go for it. Mike Nichols was in love with Nora, just um, obsessed with her, and they were great friends. Um, and he, I think, would do anything to just hang out with her in the editing room, uh, you know, and order the best pie in New York. So I think that was just a way for them all to hang out together, to be honest. And he also wanted to help his friend. Nora wanted to um, direct. Hmm. Like, that's what she I what I really want to do is direct. Mm-hmm. She wanted to direct her own scripts. So she had to, like. In order to get to the point where she, um, you know, could get that directing gig, she had to keep writing screenplays and just break into Hollywood, you know, keep breaking and kind of clawing her way to the top. And, um, you know, maybe someday she would get an opportunity. So she um, also found that she could make quite a bit of money in a short time writing scripts um, shaping them up as a doctor or um, starting from scratch. So Rob Reiner um, had loved her work in Silkwood. She co-wrote uh, the screenplay starring Meryl Streep as uh, nuclear whistleblower Karen Silkwood. Mm-hmm. And that's a great kind of um, uncharacter... Unchar- 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 <laughs> I can't say words anymore. <laughs> yeah, we get you. Yeah. Uncharacter... <laughs> unlikely! Yeah, there you go. I've had... Pandemic now, <laughs> pandemic brain. Unlikely Nora um, off-brand film. So he liked the, the screenplay and was thinking of Nora for something serious. So he wanted to do a legal drama, and um, he and uh, his co-producer Andy Scheinman uh, wanted to meet Nora. So they all met at the I think the Rainbow Room or uh, oh no the Russian Tea Room in New York, and they're like. Nora, would you like to write this legal drama? And she was like, absolutely not. I'm not interested in it. And then they had to like sit there and eat 
and have a very awkward uh, lunch. But so Andy, and, who is single and is still single, and um, and Rob were talking about dating and being very, very funny about it and um, being very funny and crude and saying um, crazy things. And they were both single bachelors. Um, the world was their oyster and they were navigating all of these women and they were very open about it. And Nora was fascinated. And she's like, this would be a good movie and we should write about this. And they all um, decided that they would, um, you know, work on or collaborate on this romantic comedy that was Rob's idea to um, to begin with of two people, a guy and a girl, man and woman, who um, go through traumatic breakups and become very good friends, um, bonding over their breakups, and then they have sex that gets in the way, and then they go their separate ways, but amicably, like in Annie Hall, like the, right, in a, a, sure. at the end of Annie Hall. And uh, Nora was like, that sounds good. The man and the woman reconnect every five years. They start off kind of as enemies. And, you know, it, the whole narrative went over several iterations, um, several different sallies over the span of five years or so. Uh, Rob may stand by me, as I, I think mm -hmm. mentioned earlier. And then when he was ready to make a romantic comedy, he wanted to do it like right away. Because he started it out in TV and everything's efficient. <laughs> like, okay, let's get it done. Um, let's make this romantic comedy uh, with a very low budget. And, um, and yeah, they just got rolling with it. And um, they were sort of, because Rob worked in TV, um, improvising a little as they, as they went. Uh, the museum scene at the, at the Met. That was uh, the Paprikash scene. I, that was improv. I thought so because there's a moment where Meg Ryan looks off camera and I swear. Yeah, she looks off. I for... swear she's looking at Rob Reiner and Rob Reiner has to be going. And like, he's like, no, no, keep, keep going. going. Keep, going. keep going. going. Yeah, yeah. I swear that was happening. You're right. You're spot on. She was. <laughs> and she just went with it. She was like, should I be doing this? You know, um, looking at Rob for permission. And he was like, yeah, keep going, keep going. <laughs> That's great. I love it. It was very much on the fly. Yeah. Well, this is great. Let's, let's jump into our critical appreciation. Uh, I want to start with Kelly. Um, this is probably your billionth time watching it. What, what jumped out to you on this most recent viewing? Man, the hair jumped out to me on this time. Um, the, <laughs> the hair is like very much in the same way that Edgar Wright like uses the environment to kind of show a passage from place. Like this movie shows the passage of time from like sideburns to hairspray to like shorter haircuts mm -hmm. to like, Oh, Oh, now we're kind of bridging on the late eighties and we're using a lot more like gooey gooey stuff in our hair. And I don't know. I just like, and honestly like this, like what jumped out at me was the hair and then a little bit of the cinematography. There's like, eight times where they shoot Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal in, in almost like Huppa type settings. What is that? Like mean? as soon as they leave at the beginning of the movie, after he picks um, or after she picks him up and he's like macking out with his girlfriend, um, they leave the campus and it's kind of, they get this really symmetrical scene of them heading out into the world together. And it's under an archway oh, right. and it just feels like a wedding. Oh. And it's it's the same thing with his um, apartment. 
where like he has those big arched windows mm-hmm. and they're just like standing there under it and then you just get a lot of these long shots with them being together and those long like extreme wide two shots i'm just like this movie was so like in the same way that the writing is so thoughtful like stuff that i hadn't appreciated before like the cinematography is so thoughtful um and like like the comedy of things coming in and out of frame like billy crystal (laughs) when he catches um sally and joe making out in the airport he like comes out of scene and they just like slowly pops in and they hold on to that shot there's so many good moments like that and so i don't know i was just falling in love with another part of this movie like every single time i watch it yeah when i was watching it like i love meg ryan's uh farrah fawcett hair um yeah me too it's good um but like when we were watching it (laughs) sarah's like looking at billy crystal she's like "Mm, bad rug (laughs) And I'm like, maybe that's the point <laughs> is that he's supposed to have kind of bad hair because uh, guys in their early 20s don't know what to do with their hair. Maybe it's OK that he doesn't have great hair. Well, I mean, that had to have been that was a, a piece, right? I think so. When he was in, in Chicago. Oh, oh, I should know this. <laughs> yeah, this is, um, I, I'm I sh- feel like it is. Because... I never I never even investigated this because I assumed it was. Yeah. This is hot goss. Yeah. Come on. This is hot goss. Damn it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, okay, I need to well, go back in the in the second paperback. It'll be edition. your I'm gonna yeah, updated yeah, edition, yeah. revised. Um, <laughs> um, well, because he he has his facial hair as well in the movie, and it was shot over. Is is it seven weeks, Aaron? Yeah, 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 about seven weeks. And like, so that either means that they shot him with the facial hair at the beginning and shot out all those scenes, or shot. Other, I'm just trying to think of the way I'd produce this. Right. And I, I, I think he would have had to, I don't know. It's just complicated when you're dealing with changing hairstyles like that. Yeah. And uh, I don't well, know if pulled it up. The weird thing is uh, Billy Crystal, I didn't realize he was 40 because I was just like, are, are is one actor like eventually going to be acting down in age? And like, like will the movie eventually catch up to their real age? The other they, one acting like, up. That's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting that it's kind of a little bit of all of that, that um, Meg Ryan was 26. They kind of meet in the middle, right? Yeah, so she's acting 32. Yeah. Wow. And um, that's got to be weird for an actress to be like, oh, yeah, I totally believed you looked 32. And to be like, uh, Dude, I don't want to hear that. I'm 26. She's got <laughs> such range. Like, I I mean, um, so, Aaron, yeah, I... My wife's favorite movie in the whole world is Joe versus a volcano. Favorite. Um, oh, favorite. Oh, favorite oh, movie. Okay. That's so, unusual. So I love I, it. Yeah. I was reading I was reading your book to her on we, we had to come down to see her mom because her mom's sick. And so we um we drove from Portland to Kansas and I was reading your book out loud to her just because she hasn't read it yet. And um, we start reading about Joe versus the volcano. And she's like, yes. Oh, my gosh. A mention of like the genius. <laughs> um, but like just seeing her in that movie where she plays three different characters and then seeing her in this movie where she's playing different iterations of the same character just because we jump around in time so much. It's like her her range is so wonderful to watch on screen. Yeah. I didn't fully appreciate it. I think um, John Patrick Shanley was one of the first uh, the first people I talked to for the for the book, and he wrote and then directed Joe versus the Volcano, um, mm. as you know. Yeah. But um, <laughs> he was so um, he was so um, articulate and almost poetic about her range 
um, that he gave me a deeper appreciation for Meg's talent. And she was playing wildly different characters. Flippity gibbet. Yeah, right? Um, I say that every day. Um, but um, I, she was playing uh, wildly different characters. They were each winsome in their own way, because I think that's her um, common denominator quality. Her bottom line quality mm, is her good. winsomeness. Um, but she um, she's kind of emotionally fluid. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's um, able without um, seemingly any effort or um, craftsmanship, I want to say, obvious craftsmanship. Um, you, you never see the wheels turning when she mm-hmm. acts. She's able to slip in and out of these different moods and characters. What's that scene where uh, they're on the, the road trip and they end up at the first cafe and he says that she hasn't had sex and then she's like, it just so happens that I have had plenty of good sex. And everybody's really quiet in the cafe. And then she just kind of does this thing where she goes from like being like angry to really embarrassed to, I'm not going to do it, but she does it all with just doing this yeah. and like walking. Yeah. That was such a good Billy. Move. And it's sorry. <laughs> I, we're on an audio medium. She tilts her shoulders. <laughs> yeah. No, one <laughs> but like, um, she has a lot of physical comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that, like, you just can't, um, she didn't go to Yale drama, you know, she didn't go to Juilliard. Um, she, uh, she learned from soaps. Yeah. <laughs> she learned, uh, from, from acting in soap operas. And, um, she learned, I think, um, early on that, um, you, you, uh, memorize your script, you go in and you do it. And then you, um, you know, it's action, you do your scene, then you go home, you do it again tomorrow, and um, you just do a lot <laughs> in a I mean, short that, amount of time. Like, and she learned that not to be precious about it. She wasn't precious. She was extremely professional. And she was able, um, through her talent and skill, to effortlessly um, drop in and out of character um, and still be mm-hmm. kind of you know, Meg Ryan, you know, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. like she wasn't full on, she wasn't Daniel day Lewis. <laughs> she was, yeah. she was, um, Thank she God. wasn't method. She was just a professional. What I like about her in these, like, especially I think when Harry met Sally is the most quippy of the three, like sleep in Seattle has the most like tenderness and heart to it. And you've got mail is probably the best of all things that, there's heart and comedy and, you know, her and Joe Fox do have a good repartee, but her and Billy Crystal, it's like, pow, 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 jack, back, back, forth. And like her. Yeah. And, and they yeah. are so opposite that it works so well. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and you've got mail. Didn't you sort of feel like that movie uh, in a way was built for Tom Hanks, who was the, who had bigger, um, he had more yeah. leverage at the time. He had just, um, he had just uh, won Oscars for Forrest Gump oh, yeah. and then Saving Private Ryan, the right? He was the Saving king Private of Ryan Hollywood. Or, or, Still or is know, the king yeah. of Hollywood, yeah. yeah. He was the king. So so I feel like he had more leverage than Meg. He made twice as much. And I feel like they gave him the jokes. That was the more interesting character to me. Mm. Um, and I may, I've never actually admitted this before. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that Joe Fox was more interesting than Kathleen Kelly. I think she was winsome and endearing and... She's definitely the most endearing of them. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, well, but he was the one who changed. Exactly. He changed. Yeah, cause His character changed She's the most. The most and you've mm-hmm. got Mel, she's just kind of perfect, right? Like, she doesn't, she just gets all this well, terrible stuff happening to her, and she's just got to deal with it. And she deals with it, but Joe Fox actually gets the transformation. And, yeah. And, and the writing, uh, like, the characters who are active in those movies switch. Because in Sleepless in Seattle, Meg Ryan is the one doing all of the activeness. I mean, and Jonah to another smaller degree. Um but in You've Got Mail, Joe is the one who is basically actively pursuing because he's the one with all the information, right? And so those characters are the ones that change the most um, in those two opposite movies just because they're the most active, I think. Right. Um, I do have a question for uh, our star witness. Oh. Um, on You've Got Mail, I'm really curious if you fig- if you found this out, but do you feel... Uh, we're getting off topic. Our movies when Harry met Sally, but we're going to talk about you got milk for a second. <laughs> yeah. Um, like Joe Fox is probably like, if someone was like, Joe Fox is a bad person. You're not wrong. Like he, he's not really the instigator of like taking down the shop around the corner, but he kind of is like, he could have stopped it, but he didn't stop it. Um, and I feel like as a character, the part where he goes um, to whatever street fair that is, and it's the Tweedledee song, and he's with his family, and they're being really cute and adorable. Did you fit like ever learn if that was like a reshoot or like a late edition, or there's something about that scene that feels kind of shoehorned, where they probably had the, either the script or the film where they're like, "Wow." Tom Hanks is kind of a dick in this movie. We need to make him a little bit more likable. And I feel like that's, that's the only reason that scene exists is to make him more sympathetic. This is something else I need to investigate <laughs> because that's a fascinating idea. Oh, let's do a reshoot. Okay. Somebody, I, and they would never admit this to me, but like, I feel like Lauren Schuler Donner might've been like, we need to make him less of an asshole. We need this humanizing scene. And, um, my friend Alex is actually in that scene as a little girl. Oh. She, um, her mother, her mother was very close with Nora, so Alex has a cameo in that scene. So I should ask, I should ask Alex. Yeah, when did she? Um, was it during principal photography? Was it afterwards? You guys, I got this one. I, I know what happened. The kids just wanted to spend more time with Tom Hanks, and they were like, "Well, we'll film it. I guess <laughs> we'll, we'll make the scene." Okay. I, you know what? I think that's what happened. Yeah. I think she wanted to put all of her friends' kids yeah. in that and made up that. Thing. Yeah. All right. Back to when Harry met Sally. It, it, this brings us a good point. Um, Harry's kind of an asshole too throughout the whole film. Um, but this movie gets away with it um, because I think there is something endearing to his, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, priggishness or what. There's some, something works, even though he's kind of a bad, I don't know kind of a stick in the mud sometimes he's, I, mean, he's not, I wouldn't yeah. call him a bad person or anything no like not that, bad he's, he's definitely he's purposefully confrontational yeah and like he doesn't grow out of it i feel like all <laughs> all smartish or people who think they're smart college guys do this where they just want to like argue about something and show how smart they are and that's all he's doing at the beginning of the <clears throat> so, how would you know that because i was that guy <laughs> <laughs> and i looked over to- i think that's why men you know i i think that there's a great um you know there's a great male perspective and male voice in this film that is absent from a lot of rom-coms you know that are more female focused mm-hmm. uh female centered so i feel like um i love the equal balance of the sexes that they have yeah. 
Um, I think Sally, Sally is the most interesting uh, romantic comedy character that Meg has played. And Billy, uh, Billy was able um, to bring that bite to mm-hmm. it. But you still like him, don't you? Oh, yeah. Like, you still like him. Yeah. I like I like both of them. And, like, they – I think they set them up as opposites just – I mean, even in their their clothes or the way they tip where it's like I, I don't – I don't tip like Sally. Sally is, like, doing the exact math. Right. And she's like, uh, I'm going to do this. And then you see it. It's, it's, it's almost throwaway because it happens in the corner of the frame. But Billy just, like – tosses like a couple dollars on the table and Mm -hmm. like he doesn't care if it's exact change he's just going to leave like the tip he wants to leave and so you like him because even though and i'm sure this is like a word that rob reiner has probably used a million times even though he is a little bit of a prig he's a mensch (laughs) like he's he's just that he's that guy you want to be friends with yeah i want to be friends with all of the friends i want to be friends with carrie fisher i want to be friends with her oh my gosh yeah how and Bruno Kirby. They, they seem like and great. Bruno's they're oh. all good. They're so, and those two have such um, a natural warmth. They're they great did. supporting best friend characters. Uh-huh. Uh, and they're believable too. Like Bruno Kirby, um, he just looks like your best friend. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? He, he looks like a real person out there in the world. And even though Carrie was Princess Leia and is iconic. Yeah. Um, in so she, many she ways. Even, she even feels real, though. Yeah, you, you yeah. forget she's Carrie Fisher because she's Marie. And she's sitting there like, you need to date this guy because, you know, he could so, turn out to be somebody else's yeah. husband and then you'll you'll have Mr. Chance. Yeah. She felt most like Nora Ephron to me in this movie. I mean, possibly because she looks like the most like her in this film. But just like, I don't know, there's something about Carrie Fisher's energy that I'm like, oh, this is very ephron Yeah, very sharp, very yeah. critical, but also loyal and yeah just on the johnny on the spot i can't think of any other movie besides city slickers um that bruno (laughs) kirby is in and i could swear that he plays the exact same character and so i want to imagine that these are crossover universes well i think um he and billy had a big falling out oh Oh, did they yeah they stopped speaking and billy was not invited to bruno's funeral as i hear it right Mm. Um, they had a, this is very depressing for people to hear. People don't want to hear this, but something happened on the set of city slickers and it might've been a thing where Bruno's character was, um, so likable and so charming. And Billy might've felt like Bruno was stealing some of his sunshine. I hear that a lot and, from a lot of different actors, a lot of high profile profile actors. They're kind of very protective of like their star presence. Their and then anything like threatens it, they're very protective. And it's just like when I hear those stories and like Kelly and I are like work in the film industry, it's like uh, I will reserve my judgment whether that's like merited or not. Cause maybe, maybe you do have a point of like, it was a star vehicle. It was a lead thing. You know, I can believe it, but I can also believe the the Bruno Kirby side of like maybe Billy was being selfish. Who knows? It's it's yeah, it's interesting. Well, Carrie and Meg got along famously. Uh, thank you, thank and- you for good. us. Good. <laughs> Don't worry about Bruno Kirby's funeral. <laughs> oh God! And um, uh, great actor, um, underrated, uh, and of course, um, uh. Uh, changing, changing the subject, uh, 
Meg and Billy became close toward the end of production, and they were calling each other every night to prepare for the orgasm scene at Cass's <laughs> Deli. Was that part of your walking tour? Oh, no. Cass's is on Houston Street, um, uh, just on the edge of the Lower East Side. So it would have been like a, it, that would have to be a bus tour. We couldn't afford oh, that. Sure. Um, uh, but but I, I've been to Katz's. I actually lived a few blocks uh, away from Katz's for years. And I would go there and, um, you know, order a hot sure. dog. <laughs> what you do, do uh-huh. what you do at do Katz's. People, but I would never. Do they, do they, is it always a tourist destination? Are people always trying to reenact it there? Is it just kind of annoying to go in there now? Is it like. Um, well, it's a place where uh, New Yorkers actually go and eat because the mm-hmm. food is good uh, and it's super cheap. And there's a sign under where um, there's a sign over the table where they filmed uh, that scene. Um, you can tell who the tourists are because um, they're usually the ones sitting at that table. But no one actually reenacts the scene. But there oh, is okay. the sign that says um, I'll have what she's having was right you know, there. pointing down at the table. I'll have what she's having. Which I love that that was Rob Reiner's mom. Yeah. Like, that's, I think that's my favorite story from the, like, production of this film. Plus her reaction <laughs> yeah. shots. Rob Reiner had to reenact, like, like he had to do it, like, just to be like, hey, Meg, I, I need a little bit of this. And he, d- him doing that in front of his mom. Yeah, the reaction <laughs> shots perfect. from her mom is perfect because she's looking at Meg Ryan and there's the meta level of like, oh my god, what am, what is my son making? This is so just. They're like, <laughs> oh geez. What am I doing here? Why am I stuck here with this crazy woman on this crazy film set? Uh, no, she's great. <laughs> uh, I. And she's like, oh, <laughs> okay. I just want to spend time with my son. <laughs> the other thing I like about this movie is um, going back to. Billy and Bruno Kirby is all their scenes. There's a lot of dialogue scenes. And this is something that a lot of amateur filmmakers get in the trap of is when they're doing AB dialogue scenes. That's not funny. That's like yep. expositional. The camera is just in one position. They just sit there and nothing's happening. It's a shot. And reverse it just takes shots. three minutes for us to run the lines. And we're just waiting, just kind of nodding our head. and like, okay, we got the lines done. Good. Okay, let's go. But everybody's doing something. Yeah. In this so movie. we have them yeah. at the football game, and they're doing um, they're doing the wave. So I say to her, "Don't you love me anymore?" You know what she says? I don't know if I've ever loved you. Ooh, that's harsh. Uh, they're at the mm-hmm. batting cages. Is there another one? Those were the two that really stick out. That. Uh, or they're like walking across the street, or they're getting. Oh, a hot they're dog. doing like there's always an. They're activity. doing the um the power walking. Uh, thing and their oh. cute little yoga pants. <laughs> they have the cutest little Those hips. pants they just great. look so good. And it was it was the same thing with um with Meg and, and Billy whenever they were like having a conversation together. Like they were either unrolling the carpet or uh, they do that pillow talk uh cutscene mm-hmm. where um you know the two of them are in separate bedrooms but it's it's lined up. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have the four way one. I don't know how they filmed that. That just looked impossible. Oh my gosh, yeah. That was so good. Do you know, Aaron, how they coordinated that of having all four performers time it out correctly in the way they shot it? Yeah. Um, on set um, with um, dividers, I think they did it in real time um, in syncopated rhythm. 
And um, they did multiple takes, of course, to get it exactly how Rob wanted it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I feel like they were just um, all four of those actors are masters of comic timing. And of course, Rob grew up in television and he he knows how to pull off a, a trick like yeah. that. And I think it wasn't hard for them. I don't think it was hard, and I never heard that it was. That's what I was impressed about with someone like Meg Ryan throughout the whole movie is that you can tell that Billy Crystal has the Saturday Night Live training. The like he's got his line, he knows the timing and the delivery of it. And then you have to you kind of watch Meg Ryan kind of like her performance is like Billy Crystal will set him up, and she's got a she's the one who has to kind of always do the reactions. So like when they're talking and he's like talking about like, you just haven't had good sex. He's just kind of like, he puts out a line and then she's the one who has to really attack. And it's just, yeah. She's like playing the straight man to his deadpan almost. Yeah. It's pretty brilliant. To me, their dynamic is still like so unlikely and they were opposites and, um, unlikely, uh, a leading man with an, you know, this adorable leading lady. And, um, Yet it works better mm-hmm. and it still works better than most romantic comedies pairings. Like, like, you know, it's like boring. It's like bland, beautiful person, bland, beautiful person. And you see that a lot on Lifetime and Netflix yeah. and those like yeah. bad yeah. scripts, bad, poorly written scripts and bad casting. But sometimes like just cast interesting people, cast people who look real, yeah. give them the chance to shine and you'll find that they're more relatable than the bland handsome chiseled james marsden guy in the katherine heigl movie <laughs> um and in yeah. fact they can be sexier than james marsden <laughs> with his chiseled yeah, and, jaw you know and and i mean hollywood makes its own stars and i mean we, we say this a lot where if if you are going to make an every man or an every woman or like just make somebody who's interesting looking a star and not just a stereotypical it just comes down to the casting and like taking a chance um and i'm so glad they did yeah um we were talking a little bit about how this movie is so iconic and it's also iconic because it gets at the basically the essential question that most rom-coms get at, right? Can this person and this person be together? Like, obviously it's, it's coming from a central tenant of whether a man and a woman can be a friend. Um, but this movie accomplishes like the same goal that, you know, almost uh, like uh, back in the Pride and Prejudice episode, we talked about how uh, you have Shakespeare, then you have Jane Austen, then you have Nora Ephron in the romantic comedy genre. And when you were talking about how Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan were like these this unlikely couple, I feel like the same way about almost Darcy and Elizabeth in in a way where you have like some dark brooding person who's standing off in the background and isn't like this likable, affable person. And then I really want to see Billy Crystal like, play Mr. Darcy. <laughs> oh, I would, would love production. <laughs> I'd like to see him like um, ride a horse, you know, running across the moors. The, the, it's raining and he's like running across the moors. Yeah. Where like, is our um, Billy Crystal period? This piece? Mr. Darcy, don't you want to dance? That's what I'm looking um, for. Eh, I'm okay. We're only going to get that if he um, if he hosts the Oscars again. Uh, that's yeah, the only time that's we're going to get that in the, the pre-scene. That's what we need. 
I think he's the only person that actually would host the Oscars oh, yeah. again. That's the thing. That's no one wants that job. No. Nobody wants that job. I <laughs> honestly, he's been my favorite. Well, so. I mean, Kelly, the, I, I the Darcy thing, like, uh, rewatching you've got mail. It's like, you've got mails almost, it's a remake of shop around the corner, but it's also kind of a remake right. of pride and prejudice. Um, because Joe Fox is yeah, but Joe Fox is way more lovable than than a Mr. Darcy is. Whoa! I don't Whoa. I don't know about that. Did I mean? Did you see the the British miniseries? Oh, we watched it. Um, <laughs> oh, have yeah, you seen yeah. that? Darcy oh. was pretty lovable. Yeah. You know when he he ran into Elizabeth. Okay, so we've well, got he it. Vintage, he just, vintage. He just keeps it. He keeps it all down low. And, he does. And in. I guess you know what we even do get to see snippets of that even in the Joe Wright version, but um, and with Joe Fox we just get to see how lovable he is all the time through his emails, uh, because he's just like it's leading a double oh, yeah. life. No, you're amazing. I but, love you. But quoting yeah. the Godfather. Yeah. No, this is good though. Go to the mat. This is good because we do want to make this distinction. It Aaron's just added herself. She's a Firth. She's a Colin Firth Darcy person. Right, that's what, I, get that's what I'm getting because Kelly is definitely a Kira Knightley, Elizabeth, Matthew, Matthew McFadden. McFadden. Uh, I love Kira Knightley so much. I'm obsessed with her. High five. Um, high five, high five. Even in Love Actually, which is not a great movie. I'm sorry, guys. Oh, no, um, no, she was right. amazing in this, and uh, I could watch her Pride and Prejudice over and over again. Like I just, I have, I, I've seen it. I like love her. Okay. So which one you, you pick, pick I one. Love her. Are you, are you Firth or are you McFadden? Oh, oh, let me, let, let me, can I, can I just, okay. <laughs> let me say, okay. So, um, I pick, I want to do a remake. Well, I want to insert vintage Colin Firth and replace oh, Matthew okay. McFadden. You want a mashup. You want a remix. I get it. You, Okay. Yeah, I, so, I don't, so do I don't, Matthew McFadden, I've seen him in Succession, and now I rethink him, mm-hmm. and his, now I'm confusing him in, you know, his Darcy with his pathetic character <laughs> in the Succession, the TV right. show, and I'd rather put Colin Firth in in that angry yeah. pride and prejudice. Not angry, it's not angry. Um, I'm sorry, angry sense did and sense and sensibility. He did sense and sensibility, which okay. we also yeah. did for the show, yeah. Billy Crystal is a much more <laughs> relatable protagonist in a rom-com than your Hugh Grant. Because I never relate to Hugh Grant because he's Hugh Grant because he's beautiful and he's Hugh Grant and I can't ever see myself as Hugh Grant. I can see myself as Billy Crystal. That was my first point because we were talking about that. Second, you threw shade at Richard Curtis. Can you elaborate? Okay. <clears throat> I don't know how the same person who wrote Notting Hill also wrote Love Actually. <laughs> like what is going on there? What, what, what is was your, Richard so your Curtis, thing like, is love actually comes off as trite or something like that? No, it's male. Ah, uh, that's a good point. Um, that's a good point. Yeah. And all of the female, all of the female characters like, um, Firth's, um, uh, assistant mm-hmm. or, um, Hugh Grant's characters, the, um, the prime minister's assistant, they're all women who serve men. Mm-hmm. They're subservient characters and a lower social status than the male. And the high status females like Laura Linney and Emma Thompson, uh, Emma Thompson they get cheated on or they end up, you know, with their brothers. Not yeah. being able to have sex with the, the, with the, the sexy Fuck that. Character. I'm sorry. <laughs> Fuck that. Well, then but we can't agree on Notting Hill. There goes our explicit We tag. can't agree Notting Hill. Uh, I love 
I love Notting Hill. Okay, okay, my, that's all we need to hear. Let me just that's say, all we need I know, to hear. But my favorite scene, one of my favorite scenes any of any romantic comedy ever, is the dinner scene the with brownie the friends. Scene. Yeah, yeah. The dinner mm-hmm. scene. Yeah, where where they're all competing yeah, for the brownie. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the best scenes because it gets so dark and so deep, and then it's li- lifted right back up to that like romantic comedy echelon it's, of like light happiness. It's no. It's Aaron, you blew my mind when I was reading. You you threw like really quick shade at Love Actually in the book. I was like, what? And I I like put the book down and I was like, and I went to my Blu-rays. I got the Blu-ray case. I looked at it. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, she's right. <laughs> like like all the men are like awesome rock stars, <laughs> and all the women are just like sad song, womp womp. Like nothing good yeah. happens. But the movie, I have to say, is a, it's a good movie. You don't notice it because it's all of the it's men well are made. so likable yeah. and it's well mm-hmm. made. Um, it's just um, infuriating. It's infuriating. It's something that <laughs> Kelly's um, wife, Robin, pointed out to me when she and I went on a friend date. We went to the movies and we saw An American in Paris. Um, and like Rob, it was like one of my favorite movies and Robin never seen it. And Robin had to be like, uh, she doesn't really do anything in this movie. She's just the object of affection. And I was like, oh, crap. You kind of ruined it for me. But I still. Which is, right? why, I said, which is why singing in the rain is better. Yeah. And, you, oh. you know what? That's, that's why I was like worried about writing this book to begin with because I didn't want to find out anything that would ruin yeah. when Harry met Sally or you've got mail for anybody. But it's or perfect, Nora, so if, but I, mean, I, was, obviously. I think I was able to write it, and Nora, um, I think I was able to to accomplish um, a, a loving tribute to these films um, without ruining them for anybody. What was the, um, you know, what was like a new appreciation you got for When Harry Met Sally in your research? What's something in the movie that you didn't notice before? You're like, oh my god, I didn't even realize it does this thing. Oh, um, and do. Oh, okay. I, I feel like it shouldn't all come back to Meg. Um, <laughs> I love Rob. I love Billy and their contributions. But I was surprised to learn that uh, Meg actually brought up, during a table read, brought up the idea of uh, enacting the orgasm rather than, than just telling um, Harry, oh, women fake orgasms. She um, was like, what if we act them out? And then um, Billy picked up, you know, Billy picked that up and he was like, what if we um, acted out in a deli? And, um, you know, and then it, it, from there, it became one of the most, you know, iconic uh, scenes in any mm-hmm. movie. But it started out with uh, Meg proposing that idea, which was um, kind of a surprise to me because, she um she's a shy person yeah (laughs) apparently not yes yes oh yes 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 oh 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 god oh Um, (laughs) you know you know that when you see like a movie that is, I don't know, like like a, a big blockbuster and you see that it has like eight writers on it, it it's it always worries me inside because I'm just like, oh, that's not good. That's gone through a lot of rewrites or mm-hmm. 
like it, it has a lot of producers fingers in it um but this movie uh and actually a lot of nora efron helmed or written movies it feels like she she or like rob reiner as well is is able to bring in all of these different voices and have them really bring the most life to this movie because this movie was written by like if we're being honest mm-hmm. rob reiner andy yeah. um nora efron billy crystal meg ryan probably even carrie fisher to a certain extent uh you know like so many voices are in this film they're all speaking the same language which helps mm-hmm. so um it's not like nora um it's not like Billy came in and was like rewriting like Jeff Arch's script from Sleepless in Seattle, which was really droopy, the first iteration of Sleepless mm-hmm. in Seattle, and making it broad and snappy. He was um, like improv. Uh, he was yes anding and uh, building um, building something mm-hmm. um, and creating something and building on to this um, to this film that um, had originated with uh, Rob and Nora and Andy Scheinman. So they were just, um, they were adding to it. And, um, you know, um, all of their additions made sense. Like they were all speaking the same kind of screwball uh, language steeped in um, Jewish yeah. humor. Yeah. That was, made, well, that was made to look Christian. Yeah. Thanks to yeah, Meg she Ryan. She has a very waspish <laughs> persona throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, my, my big question to the room is this movie is uh, like, um, you know, it's from the 80s, from 89 or something. Um, and we're living in, you know, the Me Too era. We're living in, um, you know, a different kind of feminist era um, than the film was made in. I still feel like this movie just plays and there's not anything like, quote unquote, problematic with any kind of attitudes within the film. How do you guys feel about its aged how did it? How does it age? How does it play in today's environment? Uh, like a fine mm. wine. <laughs> <laughs> it's it it has survived me too, which is crazy, because mm-hmm. most films it, it is timeless. It is purely timeless, and it survived me too, because um, Rob Reiner let Nora take the reins. You know, he was he um, had her on the set. You know, he made her an associate producer. He asked for her input. And while he was off, you know, with Billy kind of focusing on Harry, he let Nora do whatever she wanted with the Sally character. Uh, It um, has this female voice that was very feminist that uh, is sorely lacking even in romantic comedies today. It's this honesty and it's this honest, feminist, endearing female voice um, that just played off you know, Billy's insecure and um, hyper-masculine, you know, hyper-verbal, I know better than yeah. you, you know, this female voice was putting him in his oh, place, yeah. including in Katz's oh, Deli. Yeah. So that film survives me too because of Nora Ephron. Oh, yeah. uh, you're, you're right. She puts him in his place, but it's, it's always done with this, like whenever whenever Billy is doing his thing, he's always wry and he's always sarcastic and he's like, I know better, but you know, I'm going to be over here. It's that like very particular Jewish humor that I love. But when whenever Meg Ryan does put him in his place, it's with such a grace. And I feel like like I mean, if you can call an orgasm graceful, <laughs> I guess, but it is the most circuitous way to do it. <laughs> and it's so beautiful. 
Um, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm just going to piggyback on what Aaron said and say, yes, it stands the test well, of time. Well, and I feel like this is the um, one that probably <laughs> stood the test of time the most compared to Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail because both are just kind of, you can't, like, there's still something a little off-putting in Sleepless in Seattle, not in a Me Too way, but, like, it's hard to defend Meg Ryan <laughs> in Sleepless in Seattle. It's like, she's not a stalker. Like, you have to deal with it like it's it's just there you just have to deal yeah with it. i mean in the same way like you can say about joe fox is he's he's playing a con basically on somebody he's romantically interested in and i i always like I, even though i i love it and I, I give it a pass it's one of those moments where i'm like this is kind of weird but that's cinema that's films like people do extreme things and we get to view them yeah and you've got mail uh you make this point in the book too, Aaron, is that like the movie ends and you're like, if you take a step back and you're like, wait, she's in love with the guy who destroyed her family business. Like, what is that? And what does Nora say? She's just like, it's complicated. Life is hard. Like life's messy. Yeah. And you just gotta like Mm -hmm. enjoy it while you can. Nora's whole thing was embrace the mess. I've had three husbands and four different careers. You can do what you know. Things happen. You just have to. Um, you just have to move on. Um, but my husband will never forgive Joe Fox for shutting down <laughs> Cecilia Kelly's yeah. legacy, her bookstore. Why and did, he it, he does not like Joe Fox. And I, it's complicated because I do because mm-hmm. I love Tom mm-hmm. Hanks, and you see the real Joe Fox too through his emails. So <laughs> it's it's so hard to divorce yourself from loving Tom oh, Hanks. I know. Um, but also it's hard it's also hard not to be mad at him mainly because of Nora or uh, uh whoops uh Meg's um speech about her mother. But no one will ever remember you, Joe Fox. And maybe no one will remember me either, but plenty of people remember my mother. And they think she was fine and they think her store was something special. You are nothing but a suit. And at that point in time, I can't help but be just like, I'm like, come on, don't do this. Don't do this, Joe. Don't do it, Joe. Um, oh, we can't stop talking about these other movies. Um, all right. Uh, I want to break us into um, one of our, mine and Ryan's famous segments known worldwide, but I think it's going to be um, a little bit different today. It's going to be Ryan and Kelly and Aaron's rom-com Oscars. <laughs> um Aaron, what's uh what what Oscar would you give this movie? Oh, when Harry met Sally? You can make up I, an Oscar. This is just your award to give this movie. Oh, okay. Oh, this is hard. <laughs> just one? Yeah. Just one. Just one. You got to pick one. Okay, um Don't worry. Uh, we'll best, give it awards too, so it doesn't it doesn't feel uh, like Best Actress Meg Ryan. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> okay. Uh, wait, wait. De- defend, defend yourself. Just give us, give us a, a passionate argument. Why? My major argument is that um, Meg Ryan um, has never been nominated for an Oscar, and this is me <laughs> nominating her for the Oscar that she, or giving her the Oscar that she deserves, which is mainly an Oscar. It's kind of like when they give people the Oscars at the end of their right. careers, you know, like as consolation for ne- Glenn Close needs an Oscar for something, if not the wife. Oh, Which yeah, you know, right. then so, uh, I guess the wife here. <laughs> so I, I give Meg Ryan an honorary Oscar. Okay, I like it. You know. <laughs> yeah, love it. 
Love it. And okay, Glenn what Close. And Glenn, and Glenn Close. And Glenn Close. Close. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, that'll be a sub Oscar. We can we can tag that on too. <laughs> what about you, Raga? Um, I would give it best hair. Yeah, those sideburns. <laughs> right? Farrah Fawcett hair and uh, another. Uh, I'll just I'm going to steal all my critical uh, appreciations from Aaron's book. That it was a good point that the hairstyle just as it's going throughout the movie, it's getting less dated and more timeless as the movie progresses. Mm-hmm. And that was something that was kind of illuminating. I was like, oh yeah, she looks so early '80s or late '70s when we first meet her, but then when we at the the last half of the movie, she just is, she just is, she is. And the hair just works. And she, and she looks younger. Mm-hmm. She looks younger mm-hmm. too. Like, I mean, I, I'm not going to give my Oscar to hair or costumes or art, but I do want to appreciate them because we haven't said enough about those people. And I always like to, especially when it's well handled in a real life film. This movie was just done so well from their different apartments to um bruno's and carrie's apartments to just like capturing new york i'm so glad they shot in new york um you say in your book that like they almost shot um like a whole like weeks and weeks in la and it's just like la does not Mm. play for new york it just can't Mm -mm. not the same so what's your oscar um okay (laughs) well this is we've been kind of um going through like a lot of the classics and we've had a couple new ones. We've, um, we've watched like some Netflix films at this point. I'm just going to give this best picture best because I haven't done that yet. I, oh I think this God. is, I think this might be the best romantic comedy that we see. Whoa. You're, you're putting it above your favorite movie, Notting Hill. Oh, it's but Notting Hill is not my favorite movie. Your um, favorite rom-com. No, no, no. I, I think, well, I think this is a, I definitely think it's more iconic. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to give it best picture. Best picture. Okay. And, and I might have to, you know, bite the bullet later on and say, I liked a different movie more than this, but. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well. Better than Sense well, and Sensibility? But the thing about it is, Ryan. <laughs> like this? No, please. To repeat after me. Pepper. 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 <laughs> Waiter, there is too much pepper on my paprikash. <laughs> Waiter, there, there is, is too, too much, much pepper, pepper on my paprikash. On my paprikash. But I would be proud to partake of your pecan pie. There's one thing that we have to do, and that is, who would you fall in love with? Can I go first? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'll go first. Bruno Kirby. Oh, <laughs> Aww. that's so great why bruno he he's has a writer he's a writer and no one has ever quoted me back to me before and i say this i say oh. the same thing all writers we all love to hear that we're fragile mm-hmm. our, our egos are so fragile but um i i, I know and they get so big so quick right um i like how um decent he his uh natural decency and goodness filters through the character mm. and he is just somebody that you might have a, an argument uh, about the wagon wheel table, but if you love it, he'll end up keeping it somehow. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it, he's, uh, yeah. he's, uh, yeah, very lovable. He's the best. Okay. Kelly, <laughs> All right. you? Um, I'm going to go. I mean, I generally go 
I fall in love with the kindest, uh, most likable characters, generally speaking. Um, but I'm going to fall in love with Billy Crystal in this one. Billy Crystal. He, because he changes. He he has such an arc in this film. And he's 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 obviously still got like you know emotional baggage and but he's so funny he's so much fun to go on a date with and like you always know that he's got your back like he was he was right there to take care of meg ryan when she was having a a shitty day and he'll call her out on her bs but he also is like very apologetic when he's an asshole he's like you're right i'm sorry like can i just say something i need to apologize to you and I mean, obviously what he says at the end is a culmination of like lots and lots of rewrites, but mm-hmm. I mean, Classic. he's, he is that character. So I'm going to fall in love with Billy. Okay. Um, I am going <laughs> to uh, fall in love with, it's a classic. You got to love her. Carrie Fisher, princess. <laughs> Carrie Leia. Fisher. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. It's princess. Yeah. Leia. She's sharp. She's witty. She's gorgeous it's 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 on the screen hey and she loves a married man it's in this the, film so yeah, you, you might i guess be i doing have a okay. good chance with her because i'm already married so nobody said ira we we don't fall in love with <laughs> no no oh ira we didn't even talk about that ira. scene it was so funny ira ira oh ira. this is ira with the ball I, I love when when billy crystal reintroduces ira to meg to um, sally right there <laughs> How are you, Harry? Fine, I'm fine. This is Iris Stone, Harry Burns. Harry. I'm sorry, this is Sally Albright, Helen Hilson, and Ivor. So uh, Aaron's got like 3% on his phone, so we should probably wrap this up. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, where, where can people find you? Yeah, tell us, tell us more. Oh, How can um, they follow you? you you can follow me uh, on Instagram at, at Aaron L. Carlson. And I uh, talk a lot about movies, post a lot about movies and other things. So you can find me there. And also um, on um, my website, <laughs> AaronLCarlson.com. It's a good website. It's very yeah, 90s. That's how I found you. It's very 90s yeah. in a way. That's it's perfect. my tribute to Nora. And then, of course, yeah. my books are available. Um, online or um, wherever you can find them <laughs> Where, where's a good place that you'd like uh, for people to buy your books if they had an opportunity to oh i think there's sort of an indie portal that was created during the pandemic it's like a portal for different indie bookshops I, I think it's called bookshop bookshop.com and it supports indie bookstores okay, okay. We, we can link to that in our yeah, yeah we'll link it in thing. the doobly-doo okay. Well, hey, thank you so much for coming on and thanks for talking about this movie and bringing all of your expertise. It was so wonderful to have you. Thank you so much. It was fun to talk with like-minded individuals. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Uh, well, hey, if we're ever in San Francisco or you're ever up in Portland, please you know, stop by and say hey. Will do. Thanks again. Oh. Thanks again, guys. Plug in. Oh, no, no. That's right. We do have to. Uh, okay, Aaron. Sorry, this is our sign off. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I love you, Kelly. Oh wait, hold on. I think Aaron needs to be. No, 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 this is a bromance. This is not me. This yeah. is a bromance. It's okay. I love it. Harry, what? we are just going to be friends, okay? Great, friends. It's the best thing. Bye, Aaron. Next movie. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's pick uh, next week's movie. Okay.
All right, my friend, give me a number and make it a good one. Uh, you want a good number? Yeah, please. Uh, make it a make it a great number. Um, sixty six. Oh no, oh no, Ryan, you picked a bad number. Guess what we're guess what we're watching? Star Wars? Uh, no, it's not Star Wars. Um, it, on our list, it just says dot 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 Twilight. Oh no! <laughs> we go from the greatest to I don't want to say this is the bottom of the barrel, but oh boy, oh my this is a real roller coaster ride we're on. Well, you and I both know that Robert Pattinson is the shit. He is one of the greatest living actors. We love him, yeah. and Kristen Stewart is no slouch. She's also great. I've seen her in a lot of great yep. indie movies. She's she's got a lot of great indie movies that she's in. Um, Camp X-Ray. She was the best thing about the clouds of Sils Maria. Yeah, yeah, and Camp X-Ray. Camp she's X-Ray is a great film um, from IFC Films. You probably can stream it right now. But Twilight, I think I think we know what reputation precedes it. Uh, R. Pats and uh, K. Stew know what reputation precedes it. This this will be only the second time I've seen it because I have seen the whole movie through about eight times on riff tracks. Yeah, can we watch the riff tracks version? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna come at it fresh and and just see see what it see what it tells me about love and vampires and maybe werewolves. I was reading some article and they were talking about the Batman that Robert Pattinson is starring in and just whatever parentheses they gave him, uh, it was like Robert Pattinson parentheses most famous for his role in Twilight and I was like oh. Come on, he's in so many other yeah, good that movies. Is, That's come on. Like you should, he should, you should have used the lighthouse because it's dark and brooding. And it's right there. And yeah, it, and it's what most people are thinking of these days with him. We well, yeah, gotta have to. I mean, lighthouse is. It's some. It's some kind it's of. It's not a romantic comedy. There's some kind of romance going on. Well, there. okay. I I say we we do one that's uh we we do a segment where we have romantic comedies and then we do romantic comedy nights. And it's just the dark, <laughs> it's the dark comet, dark romances. Yeah, that's definitely a dark romance. <laughs> I would love to watch that movie with you and do a pod on it. Okay, well, next week we're doing Twilight. Right. Do we have to do all the Twilights? Can we just do one Twilight? No, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know if I could handle the new moons and the uh, breaking dawns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you got your new uh, moons and your breaking dawns uh, and your apples on the front of things. I don't know what, it's, what it means. Where can people find us, Kelly? Uh, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter at romcomgents, uh, and you can email us at romcomgents at gmail dot com. Um, any any cool shout outs people should do or give or write or or mess- carrier pigeon anything like that? Yeah, I don't have any carrier pigeons today, but send us in your shout outs via carrier pigeon, and we we will shout it out for you. Harry. Goodbye. Okay. I'll just stop walking. I'll let you go ahead. And this is where we will say goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Rate and subscribe, we'll even take a bribe. See you next week on...
on a gentleman's guide. Till Rom comes. <laughs>